The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai, hoki mai, kia The Fold, e mihi nei, ko Duncan Greve talking ngoa. I know... I'm probably, I get a bit enthused, right, about about our guests and, you know, I'm all, like, I, 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 know, I, I, know I, got, I got a problem with that, that's, that's sort of fine, but uh, that's just the nature of it, you all understand that, but this is a, <laughs> the, my guest today, I should just come out and say it, she's Janine Morel Gunn and she is a certified uh, TV legend, as in she... Just yesterday was awarded that that title uh, at the New Zealand TV Awards. She, I mean, and honestly, like you'll just hear the sweep and scope of her career is kind of breathtaking. Like every name she she says, and she's not dropping names; they just happen to be people who are like incredibly famous for having done heaps of things, and they were just sort of her colleagues or people she was interacting with. She is the founder of Whitebait Media, which is the iconic production house for uh, children's uh, media in New Zealand. Uh, what now? Uh, you know, like the 4.30 show, the Aaron Simpson show, Fanimals, the Son of a Gun show with, with her husband, Jason Gunn. You know, they're basically, they're it in terms of children's media. And they're not it because she just sort of found a good thing and just kept at it. She's just so passionate and such a, a real visionary of it. So her her background was, you know, she did 15 years at TVNZ before founding Whitebait and, and rose to become commissioner of, of children's uh, content. But, you know, did that as a wahine Māori, as someone who was always in rooms full of men who were basically implicitly or more often explicitly challenging her about why she was there and the fact that she has risen and pushed through and kind of made this thing happen is, is just a testament to her force of will. And then yet you hear her, she's still, she sounds like she's 21. She almost kind of looks like it too. She just basically has this kind of vitality and and vision and, and like understands what the function of, children's TV is in the lives of kids but also just like in this whole society that we're trying to build I don't think it's you know that's overstating the case so you know she's had this extraordinary career in television that's largely what this interview is about but there is just so much wisdom and insight and just a and and kind of vision and purpose in this woman and and I think a lot of that comes across in this interview if you're in any aspect of media there'll be things out of here that are like light bulbs 
um, and and you know just you could not find someone who's more more deserving of of Aviesta's award than her. This is Janine Morel Gunn on the fold. Tenakwe, Janine, uh, and welcome to the fold. It's it's an absolute honour to have a certified TV legend on this podcast uh, and congratulations on the, the super rare and prestigious award. Uh, how are you feeling out the back of it? Very old, actually. <laughs> um, I thought about the word legend and I thought, am I really this old? And all my friends, particularly women, said, actually you are. So, um, uh, But it's also very humbling. Oh. So I, w- I want to kind of survey your your career mm. um you know your your path to legend status uh and and wonder if you could start almost before you actually got into the business if yes. you think about the the act of watching tv yes. uh, way back in the midst of yeah. time as your friends would would remind you um and and tell me what what it was that made you think actually that's that's something I'd like to do what with the shows what was the the nature of the medium that that com- you found so compelling yeah well, um, so I'm a product of the 60s, so a 60s child, um, and we didn't actually watch that much television. I mean, back in the day, it start, didn't start till midday, so it's it's very prescribed, um, and really um, the adults in our house control that, mum and dad, uh, and I remember getting the first TV, and um, I was quite old, so uh, and probably 15 when we got a colour television. Wow. So... Um, but for me, I suppose, the journey into television really came from my wanting to be a um, current affairs producer. So I wanted to be two things, either a missionary or a TV producer. So go figure. Um, and where that probably came from is that um, I was a, a girl with a cause from a very early age. So at eight, I had the good news uh, the Good News Book Club and I had the Joy Luck Club in my bedroom. So I taught kids from the neighbourhood about Jesus and you could fit 12 in my bedroom. Um, so, uh, and then I went on to high school and I was very much um, that pious do-gooding kind of person uh, and, uh, and, and, and would it be no surprise that I... Um, you know, became head girl and went out with the head boy and um, I had a petition to get collots for girls so, you know, our skirt didn't ride up on the way to school and then I decided instead of 10 cents for Mufti Day, let's do recycling. So we're in, in the 70s by then um, and so just would have all these crazy ideas. That one particularly was crazy because um, by the time um, everyone bought their beer bottles and their newspapers and Myself and my boyfriend, the only other person I could enlist, had hired a trailer and loaded all this stuff up and then taken it to the recycling. I got enough money to buy two trees and had I um, got the 10 cents from everybody, we would have had six. <laughs> and that's probably... So that, 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 that um, in for a cause was very early on in life and really I thought that being a television producer and there was a show on called Close Up, a current affairs show, I thought, wow, change the world. Right. So so it was about the ability of television to impact people. Yeah. That that drew you in. Did you ever you know, so so how did you get your start? Because obviously your your career television mm. tech, but current current affairs mm. did, did that ever happen or was it was it So I it I went to 
Canterbury and one of very few, so from a very um, from Hornby and a very solid working class um, a suburb. So very few people went to Hornby. Most people invariably would say, "Where is Hornby?" Um, and um, I got straight into Canter, the student newspaper, um, and was very much involved there. In my day, you either uh, the best job a girl could get, a young woman could get, would be to work in the bank. All the boys went to the um, went to the freezing works and went to Teagles, um, and you started paying your parents board, and you had a car within six months, and that was life. Um, and I had a mum who said, uh, "Why not go to university?" She wasn't sure why I was going, and so I, off I trotted. Um, I learned so much there about everything but studying and was part of Cantor um, and then was uh, studying political science and sociology and um, was educational vice president and then the student president. So uh, I was there for a long time. You're a big overachiever, aren't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's a big problem. <laughs> uh, so uh, 81 was the tour, was big. So arrested in 81 for obstructing the carriageway. Um, Mum saw me on the six o'clock news. Um, so I didn't use my phone call for her. I rang work to say I'd be late. And the, my arresting officer said, um, you know, uh, good on you, girl. And um, sociology lecture offered to pay the fine. So, But I do look back at that and go, the comms were terrific. And we didn't have a phone. Like, how did we galvanise ourselves as a small country to change something quite significant in the world and make that stand and um, take it to the world. It was, was a really tough time. Our family was absolutely divided. But what an ach- achievement, really. Extraordinary and, and, and formational in terms of the modern conception yeah. of self that we yeah. have as a nation. So first year at university, um, I went to Auckland first time on a plane and I walked in off the street into TVNZ on Queen Street, met a guy. And said, oh, I'd like to leave university. He said, I think you should get your degree. And I went, oh, okay. So, um, and um, I sent him a Christmas card every year for four years. Um, then there was uh, TVNZ interns were advertised in the press, the newspaper. I applied. I got an interview, was flown to Wellington, and he was on the panel. So there you go. Uh, someone I'd met for 15 minutes four years ago. So, uh Yeah. The three questions I remember from that interview were uh, 37 years ago, were um, what was the lead item in the newspaper today? And I'm from Hornby and we didn't get the newspaper. We didn't have it. But I'd flown on the plane and in those days everyone had a newspaper on their seat. So I could answer that question. Um, The second question was would I direct a Miss New Zealand beauty pageant? And I was up with the play with that because the BBC had recently said that it was no longer relevant uh, to women of today. This is in the 80s, so we're no longer broadcasting them. And the third question was they noted I had an engagement ring on my finger and when would I be starting to have a family? We're in, the, we're in the 80s. So you've got the progressive stance of the BBC on one hand and then the, the like very regressive question on the other. Um, I got in... And it was interesting because it was a, a year or so later, I was down in Dunedin and I'd been um, seconded you, you, you to be hired all around the country, which was great 
these internships were incredible. Um, and um, I joined WIFT, Women in Film and Television. I don't know if it was called that then. Um, and I was new and was tasked with photocopying the protest leaflets of the Miss New Zealand pageant that was actually coming to Dunedin that week. And um, I was so proud of myself because I managed to access the Miss New Zealand production photocopying number and typed it in and printed all the protest leaflets on their budget. <laughs> I didn't know if I'd love to tell that story, um, but uh, I thought that was cool. That's a very bold move for an intern. When I think about it, you know, I didn't think that I could have got fired, and um, which is interesting because I actually did the year later. So, um, and I didn't go to the protest um, and I didn't throw meat at the stage um, because I didn't want to get arrested because I'd already been arrested with the Springbok tour. So, you know, I, um, you know, I was careful. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So when you started to, to make your way into the organisation, having avoided getting fired, mm-hmm. uh, was, it, was it that you just sort of came upon the, the kind of the, that sort of tamariki rangatahi space, mm. or, or did it end up drawing you to it? Because if you think about the, this this cause thing that you've yes. um, mentioned, if you ever really want to move society, yes. uh, you had the whole attention back then, which is, is different to now, but yes. also get them right at the start. Yes. Um, it was probably, you know, it was probably much more selfish than that. Um, I was in the newsroom in Auckland, it was a very hard year for me because, yes, you're right, when you're in at university and you're in your causes, you're in a bubble and you're with like-minded people, your values are very same. Mm. And then you go and work in this amazing network and um, the testosterone and the temper tantrums and the throwing of typewriters and there was whiskey in the bottom drawer and everyone's just fighting for their own story, which I like, actually, uh, to get. 10 more seconds, 15 more seconds, you know, and bureaus, particularly between Auckland and Wellington News, were very competitive. We'd have a black box and we'd have a three o'clock and we'd all talk and everyone just argued for there. So that's why there was this throwing of typewriters across the room. Because you had such constraint, like there was just, there's just only so many minutes and there's nothing else. Yep, yep. And, um, and I loved news with a passion. And so, um, so, so I, being part of all of that, which I wasn't because I was new and I was actually started out by, um, you won't know, but um, Angela Delorte. Diordney was a, a, a well-known broadcaster, oh, yeah, newsreader in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. My job was to type the autocue and roll it down her script and then I'd have to hand roll it like this and then she'd go, faster, faster, slow, slow, slow. She was fierce. Wow. Um, and, um, but I would type the news for her to read the news that others obviously had written. Um, I honestly thought I couldn't stay because I had thought that we were in there to changed the world naively and um, it wasn't really about that so um, I was then sent to Dunedin and uh, to blow up Selwyn Toogood who was also uh, a well-known broadcaster and I was sent uh, my first job was blowing up his cue cards because he was going blind and we needed to enlarge things and I was sent off out to a photocopying shop, which was like very out there those days, and to come back with all these words that were larger that he could read. And I was working there and was also seconded onto um, a teenage current affairs show. I kind of liked that, and I liked that interviewing people. I loved 
live directing and cutting and close up on you and get the answer and loved the whole vibe. But I really wanted to get back to Auckland, to current affairs. And then the head of children's rang me and offered a position. And I said, no, thank you. And I'd like to get back to current affairs. And he said, well, there is a children's conference in Oxford, uh, London, England next year. And I went, okay, oh, give me a minute. <laughs> and then rung back up and said, I'd take the trip. So yeah, it was quite a self-centred move. But um, going to that children's conference and going to see um, Top of the Pops and um, Danny Craven's News Round, and I met Roald Dahl, and then I came back to... You met Roald Dahl? Amazing, because they were doing a story, so I got to tag along, and um, and then ended up at a layover in Singapore, and then wrote a kind of show, I thought, for kids that would be good, and then pitched it up when I got back and kind of started that way. Never looked back. That's amazing. Never, yeah. never wanted to be making content for any other audience. Yeah. That's it. That's extraordinary. So the the other thing about you, you know, in addition to the cause and the overachieving, yeah. is you're a wahine Māori in, yes. a, in an industry which you described the testosterone, mm. like the, mm. the, the look of television was was different back then. How did that sort of shape your experience of the industry and and you know inform the work you created? Like I sort of read that you got today on to short, uh, to Sesame Street. So yeah. sorry, yeah. which seems an extraordinary thing. Yes. To to kind of done just as an aside. So yeah, tell tell me about that. Um, I think um I. I grew up in Christchurch, and my father's from Wairua, so we're Ngāti Kahununu, um, and did not have a lot of exposure in Hornby to te reo or tikanga Māori. But I think I've always had a strong Māori heart. And um, the Sesame Street um, is probably Kurero Māori, taking the Spanish out of Sesame Street and putting Māori language in, was, um, was, was one of my most proudest achievements. And I was probably, you know, 24 at the time. But I was able to enlist a whole lot of people around the building who wanted to be part of that kaupapa. So they were working in every other department. But, we, but, but, but for kids, and this is where the beautiful thing about kids, people will do a lot for young people and kids and give up their time. So we were able to teach a word a day through um, montage and wire and phrase and and had the fabulous Lisa Rehana do the opening titles. Um, and Shane Jones um, was the, read the Pudako, the stories, and uh, Timmy William Morrison was voiceover. So I just found all these people in the building, didn't yeah. know any of them, and just yeah. said, hey, could you come and help do this thing? And then the graphics, they were bored out of their brains doing very simple graphics for television news. So they did little animations for me to teach a phrase a day. But they just, everyone loved it. So there was no cash for this budget. They said, morale, you can go make it. There's no money. But the below-the-line resource infrastructure, the people that were there, was easy. They stepped up. What was the, the response to that? Because even now it can still feel, you know, where, where the... The language is embraced. It feels like a lot more broadly, but there are still kind yeah. of pockets of discontent. And you, yes. you know, you read about even the word, like the was it Nada Glavish's Kelda, like was mm. felt like a, a moment. But mm. but you know the yeah. What how did that that sort of run through? I think the that there was definitely movement, like Donna Awatiri and Repeke Evans, and. Um, and the, that call for Māori sovereignty was strong and there was definitely within TVNZ 
um, I thought real momentum there. And then, I don't know, the, the 90s came along, Rogenomics, a whole lot of things. And did people feel pushed too far? I don't know, but it went backwards. Right. It actually went back backwards. And this last probably three to five years, there's been a sea change, and we ain't ever going back. And it's all awesome. And, you know, there's talk of, you know, um, really um, Māori-led um, co-governance, you know, a lot more partnering, which I think is good. But I think you need extremism uh, for moderates like myself, maybe yourself, to move forward. That's a good thing. So the pendulum has swung in this particular area. Also with men, and hashtag me too, you know, um, I only ever worked with men, um, and they were hard, you know, and they didn't want you there sometimes. Um and did that affect me? I think that made me more um, prepared. Like they'd come back crew and they'd go and see the producer and say she hasn't got it. And then you'd get spoken to. And it made you work on those scripts and hand them out and say, have you got your script? And they'd throw them on the dash of the car. They weren't interested. You know, and they'd just chat, chat, chat. Um, and so you had to be harder than you really were. And you had to, like, not uh, engage beyond the work Uh it was it was that kind of time if you wanted to to stay in there. Sounds really brutal, like like a pretty pretty tough environment to to succeed in. I don't think, um, and it's funny because I don't think men ever stood in my way, but they never metaphorically invited you to the 19th hole or they didn't make room at the board table. They that, didn't that, that. And I think, you know, there's still elements of that in society. But um, again, there's, there's been a huge, huge change. Yeah. We were also women of an era where people said jump and we went how high. And that's probably a little stupid in retrospect, but that was the way it was, whereas now we employ a lot of um, women at Whitebait. And I love that um, they'll come in and go, you know what, Jenny, I can actually do that in four days. And I go, oh, it's a full-time job. And they go, mm, I think I could do it in four days. And I go, okay, let's see. And they can, you know, and they don't need to be here for the fifth. They can have lunch with their mum, their partner, walk the dog, you know. Um, so that ability for that flexibility for women now, I think, is really, really important. You talked about joining WIFT or, or a precursor, yeah. it's Women in Film and Television, and, and you've gone on to have governance roles sort of throughout the, the sort of extremes of the industry. You know, have has part of that been, or have you had the ability to kind of create space so it's not quite such a, a grind for... Uh, woman like you coming coming through in sort of subsequent generations? Um, I don't know. I mean, I used to think everything was black and white, and now as I get older, I see everything in one big, one big load of grey. Um, and I find myself all the time saying on the one hand and on the other, uh, and that ability to step into someone else's shoes. Um, and I think also, you know, at the end of the day, I take 100% responsibility for me and my choices and actions uh, and live that attitude of gratitude. Um, so I'm pretty well just trying to get my own act together, do you know, uh, let alone being able to influence others. 
At Whitebait, we've had hundreds of young people come through. I learned so much at TVNZ, really great systems and processes from this big company that when we took that leap and um, put the stake in the ground at Otatahi and and set up Whitebait, Jason and I um, had a lot of really good um, good stuff to take forward, although we were still enormously, you know, um, naive about it. Uh, and when people come to us about, you know, where's the coffee? You know, where's the mm-hmm. pens? Where's the toilet paper? And, you know, where's the stationery cupboard? And I thought that would be my handbag right about now. <laughs> you <relate>. know, <laughs> And so so there was a lot of learning. But the culture is the thing. And young people um, wanting to come in and get a few skills uh, in their kitty and off they go. We're a springboard. We can't hold them. We're not um, – we're – we're, we're low-cost, high-volume kind of programming, and they need to leave. Sometimes I go, oh, just one year, and they'd look at me. I go, oh, you're leaving, aren't you? Yes, off you go. And then there'd be another person. i go, oh, maybe it's time to – could I just have one more year? And so, you know, you become a family, and you'd like to think they take that kitty of skills that includes the craft, but also around how to treat people and work with one another and that they walk out the door a little taller. Yeah, I, I want to talk about um, white white bait, but just before we do, mm-hmm. do you want to tell me about your time commissioning at TVNZ? Because you rose very quickly to, to a very senior and obviously profoundly influential role there mm. in terms of during a time when TVNZ was the show. You know, there yeah. were so few options for for what uh, Rangatahi saw that you know, that you knew you had just a profound influence and therefore responsibility to to shape how they understood themselves and and the country that they were growing up in. So so tell me about taking that role and about the thinking that you had about what you wanted to accomplish with it. So um, it's something we've carried into White Bay, but I always felt, you know, children needed to be at the centre of everything we did. So my probably my uni background meant that um, I was quite into research so we had researchers for everything and you know initially we didn't even have you know computers right so you'd go to the library or you'd get on the phone or go out and see people really and I'm still a huge fan of our team going out I love focus groups I love hearing what kids have to say we've got survey monkeys up the wazoo we can do now but I still really love qualitative going out and and reaching out so putting kids at front and centre um, that really about being able to he- for kids to be able to hear other kids uh, and see their world so it's it's really important um, that uh, we we try that kid-led kind of co-papa which I think was what I saw back then and so shows like well, Life in the Fridge Exist was, you know, a lot of young reporters coming out and doing things of that interest them. And um, and then uh, just just showcasing their talents. Um, and so much stuff from overseas was British, uh, more American now, um, but just even being able to hear their accents. So kids, parents will say to me now, you know, their kids do have American accents. Um, so it, it's really always been about holding the windows of New Zealand kids' content open for as long as we can. Um, And given that TVNZ have a commercial imperative, it's not easy.
The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at zed.co.nz. So what was the thing that, that led you to, to ultimately leave that amazing job and this amazing influential organisation to find white bait and then to do it in Ototahi? Mm. Like that, that as a, you know, it's, it's obviously it's a big city, but it's not one of the centres of the televisual universe in quite the same way. Mm. And, uh, and yet seems to have been a great place to say this is about kids and and mm. um and to nurture talent that way obviously you had the broadcasting school there yes yes so, so yeah just t- tell me about that move um, that so era. tvnz closed um christchurch tvnz down and then moved children's to avalon and i um ep'd from there and um commuted for a year probably two and um had had 15 years at television new zealand at that point so um am from ototahi and so's um so's my now husband so it was really about putting a stake in the ground um and um starting our own business um and what was what's been good about that is that um we come to Auckland for, well, this is what I say, I come to Auckland for my orders and I go to Wellington for the money and basically live in Christchurch mm-hmm. uh, and ha- have been able to have a lifestyle that I don't think I would have been able to have, uh, we would have been able to have with our four kids had we lived in Auckland. I see it's the getting around and the access, you know, to to be able to have your own business and then, you know, albeit only make the last 20 metres of the marathon, but at least you're there uh, and whip out to stuff that the kids are doing. Um, but also for the team, it's real head down, bum up. That's what we did is just keep your eye on focusing and serving the audience uh, and making your shows. I took great pride in that a lot of people didn't know we were from Christchurch and that we make shows for all New Zealand young people. Um, And whilst a third of people live in Auckland, two-thirds do not. So we have a lot of small towns in our country. And I think we've been able to reflect nationally by living quite regionally. 
also for presenters and hosts and things like that, like if we'd come up here, they would have been out to, you know, premieres and events and cutting ribbons. Whereas in Christchurch, you know, they got a good Milo and sent to bed early on a Saturday. Because what now, you know, you've got to be up and on board by, you know, five o'clock in the morning. So I think we avoided some of that. Uh, to, we could look after and scaffold them while they got their skills and, and made it all about the audience. That's that's really interesting because you know the, when I was thinking before you came on, like the nature of kids TV, it's it's long, it's high volume, it's relentless, and you're making it with young, mm. almost intentionally relatively green talent. Mm, mm. How do you create a machine that gets them all mm. rowing in the right direction and also you know, gets the best out of them, delivers a product for the kids, and, and also sort of protects them from that grind insofar as it's possible. Yeah. So I, I believe the process is as important as the product. And so we do have a lot of systems and processes. But it's also important, I always say to new people that come in, give us six weeks, like, you know, um, and then you should find rhythm and routine and that you may go home some days and you can't speak or you may go home and burst into tears, but you'll find it. And when you get your job under control, then you hold the hand of the person either side of you because, you know, that's where things fall down the cracks, but someday you'll need a hand. So we are really that whole Tato, Tato one team that we build. And so we, we are really in know what the co-papa and the brief of the show is. We, Everyone knows everyone's roles um, and your role within it. it. can be a bit hierarchical, television, but it, it needs to then... We're big debriefers, so I love a good debriefing because just own your stuff. Mm. So sometimes sound will have a... Not today, though. Sound will have a terrible day. And then other days, it's props doesn't go so well, you know, but all, all, all the producers, it just, our presenters doesn't come together. But you you celebrate that and, and people can say, hey, sorry, I didn't get to that lighting or I didn't move on, next job. And um, so own your stuff. And, and we uh, have theatre screenings. We uh, show what we're proud of that we've made um, to each other. Um, and we pretty well celebrate the opening of an envelope. Like we're always just like, oh, little opportunity for a little little drink, a little nibble here to, for, for birthdays. Um, this year we have a theme. This year's going green. So we've had people out to learn us how to pump the tyres up to save you know, environment. And we've got little... All the cafes who will take us, we go for lunch walks with our wee lunch boxes so that, you know, we don't, we're recycling those. And, you know, a lot of initiatives, green initiatives, which we can probably do for years and years. We've got an e-scooter that goes into the drawer every week. You get to take the scooter home for a week. So you um, you spend time, more time at work sometimes than you do with your own whānau and friends, right? So it's got, and sometimes you sleep the night and stay there because you've got to fill the black hole. You've got to fill it. And so you've got, creating that culture of kindness and fun and yeah we like to have fun yeah it it feels the only way that you could get that thing out I think also having four children and seeing young people come through with a very expensive loan student loan and a big bag of expectations managing that um, and people will yeah come in and we have to help them you know get something out of hock or we've got to help Got they've got car troubles or pay off a loan or they need advance for accommodation. You know we're all, I that's the world in which they're entering, and you've got to help scaffold that. So you've you talked before about going to to Auckland to get your orders and Wellington oh. to, to get your <laughs> yeah. money, which yeah, is a little bit, yeah. 
uh, <laughs> quite a cute way of putting it. Do you feel like that system that we have, which is actually potentially on the verge of massive change, which, mm. we'll, which we'll touch on, do you think it it served New Zealand well for for that period where it was the you know it's because still radical by by world standards but and very different to what the paradigm is in other countries. What did you think of the New Zealand on air system? Um, yeah, I think it was really, I think it, it has worked. You know, it's produced a lot of great content uh, and, and that enabled us to see ourselves on the screen. Um, in regards to children's, I mean, I've always advocated for children to be able to have the same range and diversity of content as adults have enjoyed, and that really probably hasn't happened. Um, the budget, I mean, I don't know, the BBC kids would be around 80, 80 million, uh, and we get 16, 10 to 16. You know, the, 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 we, we always in this country, you know, um, we knock it out of the park for, for the small country we are and what we produce. Um, but over the years, you know, we don't really see children's documentaries there. We're making a game show, but if you want a game show on weekdays, you haven't been able to have have a magazine show as well. It's one or the other. Um, children's drama doesn't, it seemed to me, receive the same sort of support that adults drama does. Uh, across the board, you know, I've grown up in an era where children's are often the lowest and last on the agenda. It's and kids. And as we talk more and we move it towards the um, Aotearoa New Zealand PME, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of underserved communities that quite rightly are putting their hands up for funding and for support. My concern is that, and, and then they say all of these groups and kids, and we're at we're last in the long, a long line of ends. Um, and the thing is, because kids can't represent themselves, you know, not to 14-year-olds are 22% of our population, you know. And so I thought, you know, I don't like putting my head up politically now. It's not, you know, I did that way back, right? And hmm. um, But this year, you know, went along to select committee uh, you know, with with that plea, I suppose, but also to be able to say, hey, if in these seven parts of the legislation you added, added and children, that'd be a cool, good thing. And maybe it'll happen in two. I don't know. So I still feel the passion to represent children and, and young people and, and step aside to give them more voice, you know, as much as we can um, but uh, the windows for kids' content in New Zealand is very, very small currently. And that's what I'm curious about is because you, you have those constraints that you described and you also have kids are the first to change behaviours. You know, if you yeah. want to see the future... Yeah, start there. Start there. Mm. So, you know, in terms of the growth of platforms, mm. the, the sort of, not necessarily the... the end of linear, but the end of linear as mm, the default mm, and dominant yeah. choice, you know, the, the, the obviously Hey Hey was a, an idea. I don't know to what extent it's become sort of somewhat orphaned within t- TVNZ. You know, the, the rise of, of TikTok and vertical video and phone as mm. dominant uh, distribution device, certainly. 
how do you relate to that? How does white bait relate to that? And do you think that as a country we're getting near addressing the complexity of, you know, you talk about the national identity stuff of, of American accents and, and so on. That was before when there was a, a single pipe, effectively. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, well, we don't even have visibility over what they're seeing or any mm. ability to influence. Mm. And that's on some level a conscious decision we've made or, or not made. Mm. Um, yeah, how, how do you think about this wild, changed world that we're operating in now? Well, my generation let the technology in um, and uh, and didn't really understand it and to the depths in which it would prevail in our society so it's a it's a runaway train in some things so you know I feel partly responsible for that um with regards making shows well it's all good it's it's a multi it's it's a multiverse that we make in now so so every show we make has a digital content producer who's putting content up before during and after linear if that's if it happens to be a linear show, so and that is on TikTok and it is on Instagram. Um, for for linear, I still see there's a place in for for linear, and that's because I'm not um, not not wanting there to be change. But there's a couple of things for me. There's um, Still, we have undisturbed audiences, and a number of our shows speak to lower socio-demographic audiences where they are just watching free-to-air. So that's their diet. They don't have phones or the money on their phones or the screens on their phones. So, you know, that that inequity exists. So we have, I think, responsibility to serve those kids, and that's important. The other thing for me is um, I think kids can have a 360 experience. So they can pick up television, Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube, wherever they want and join it all up however they, they want to. I We need still to have safe spaces for kids. And um, and I wouldn't like YouTube to, to be a primary platform for our investment uh, from the government into kids' Entertainment, you know, I think it's one platform as as are many. So, what I do fear a little bit is that people in life, adults, by virtue of the phone and all the content and the analytics that you that that um, determine what it is you get to see and watch every single day, we're becoming siloed as adults. And siloed as young people. So you are a, this type of person and there's your content and it's coming to you. Similarly with children and it gets fed that way. That is not, I have to ask myself at my age, what kind of ancestor do I want to be? Mm. What is my legacy? And I'm all about joining up. And I think we need to have more joined up opportunities, which is why I think the PME is a good thing because it joins us back up. And the pandemic showed an incredible shift in Fano viewing around the world. And Americans were logging in at over an hour of watching shared content with their kids every day. That's got to be a good thing. And they were sitting down with their Fano and families and talking about the content. And that's what I had way back, is your first question, uh, when I grew up. 
Um, and we had friends that took us through the afternoon who stayed with us. And we're lucky. We see the impact of our work every day with chats and um, with you know with chats and emails, and we still get the odd letter. But kids make a lot of things, love to do and share, and and all of that stuff. Uh, we get sent food, the odd pet, you know, everything because they want to connect with you, and they and it's just a wonderful expressions of joy. So we get to see the impact, but the real impact is years and years later when. Adults can recall in acute detail these memories that they had um, watching content, you know, with their friends or if they were latchkey kids just on their own and the relationships they had with others, their hosts and presenters through five years of their life, you know. Um, So there is still a place for that. There is still a place to create those friendships and those connections um, on linear and in a small country like us, for those connections to be reflecting our diverse nation and our kids. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I agree with that from a, you know, there's a utopian element of that. And, and I think that the, one of the things that I love about mass culture, popular culture, is the way it knits us together as a society and creates... Mm like a shared understanding of the world, mm. and not, uh, that's a platform on which we can mm. debate our differences and, and solve solve our problems. That's right. It doesn't need to be all sorted. No. It's actually just bringing the, the, the conversation together because at the moment we're not having them. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like I, I saw on TikTok yesterday, David Seymour having a conversation with Moana Maniapoto about, you know, you know, his identity as a Māori and, and his mm. views versus, um, you know, what, what are considered dominant views of Māori. And, and it was just that, and it was, like, they were they were not in agreement at all, but the very fact of them being able to be on a screen, having that, that just felt very, like, it doesn't feel like a thing that can happen every, every, in many other places in the world at, at the it's moment. A, and it's such a good thing. It's a, it's a really precious thing. And I guess my sort of... My my sort of fear is like that as we move into this sort of distributed world of, you know, even getting someone to, you know, people to go to a a linear uh, platform, Mm. Mm. it just seems an increasingly hopeful thing rather than something that, you know, is is research. Yeah. And... um, and how we sort of grapple with the the, the huge complexity of being to serve what is you're absolutely right to point out it's a very big audience, but it just behaves in very strange ways, and we really don't have that same ability to control what they're seeing, and the cost of making things remains mm. you know, even on mm. a shoestring. It's still relatively high, you know. Do, you know, like I, I guess that's the the thing that I sort of struggle with is how. how you know, is is the genie able to go back in the in bottle, bottle and that kind of thing? I don't. I don't think. I don't think you even try to put the the genie in the bottle. Um, I think that there's so much good investigative journalism out there a, a, across platforms now, and that can be. That I think 
that can be harnessed and presented in different ways, visually and audibly, which is what this podcast is about and things like that. I think a lot of it is marketing and branding. Mm. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we're engaging for the first time, you know, it's almost product, product placement. How do we get our content out to those eyeballs and to those ears? And I think that then that's not something probably they've seen at odds because it seems like that's a commercial imperative. But actually, if you call it an audience imperative, if you Absolutely. call it a knowledge imperative, wouldn't that be exciting? If we started investing as much money as we see sometimes in a Coca-Cola campaign on content. Yeah, and I think that that's ultimately how we should view these distributed platforms is that they it's, – it's just important that that exposure continues to exist. And right now it feels like we spend a lot of money, um, a lot of our limited um, – funds creating the thing and then we still haven't learned that the distribution side and getting it into these places making people aware of it is it's uh, it used to be a given you know because you had a a default audience that was just there yes now it's a whole we've got to work harder much much harder and smarter and i think that that's that's a great point um where that i've taken a huge amount of of your time but i wondered if we could close on you know, when you look back uh, across your time in the industry, which is very much not still <laughs> not done, <laughs> thankfully, but uh, is there a role, a show, a moment, a relationship? What what is what is the thing that you kind of cherish most um, out, out of your your time in this amazing weird industry that that we both operate in on some level? Um. So a few years ago, we we um, started bringing. Um, kids in from Rowley Ave for a school in Christchurch uh, to be in the audience of What Now. Um, it was the principal's idea and she wanted uh, she wanted to bring kids who just turned up because they came and, it, and they and it was and it, they were, came from complex backgrounds a lot of the kids had high needs but for those kids that just turned up every day and you know, uh, we she said, well, could we get them into the audience? So we put on vans, and a teacher had to turn up at sort of six o'clock in the morning and get the kids in the vans, and they'd wandering out of the dark, and off we'd trot trot. I loved sitting on the bleachers with the kids and watching them watch the show and watching all the the crew and the activity. And one day, I um, one day. I was sitting next to a young boy and I said, oh, you know, what do you think? And I went, oh, it's great. Um, I said, oh, yep. And he said, I'm going to get a job here one day. And I said, course you are. And I said, what do you want to be? And he pointed out to the cable dragger, the person that lifted the cables off the floor and walked behind the camera operator. And I went, absolutely. And he never worked a white bait. He never became a cable dragger, but he became a camera operator and now is in Canada. And I go, you have no idea what we do every day, where that might go. And I think that example just for me is why I'm still doing it at my old age uh, and why the need to serve and give kids the absolutely best we've got to offer every single day and moment matters. I just got chills, I'm kind of choking up a bit. That's so, so beautiful. And uh, honestly, this has been just such a fascinating quarter. And, and I just can't thank you enough for coming up oh. here and, you know, your, your contribution to this industry still still going and, and 
still very, very vital, I think, the lessons that, that you hold. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming up, sure. Janine. And, yeah, kia ora. The Fold is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It's hosted by Duncan Grieve with production by Tiahe Butler and Samuel Robinson. Series production is by Jane Yee. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e tewi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.